As we enter chapter 4, we get into actually the, the real important part, as far as I'm concerned, of the book. And we find here in this chapter the Redeemer. The Redeemer, or the near kinsman, is called the Goel, G-O-A-L. This was the one who redeemed, who bought back that which was lost. And notice what it says here, and I'll touch on that in a moment, explain it a little further. Verse 1, chapter 4 says, Then went Boaz up to the gate, and he sat him down there, and behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, unto whom he said, Ho, such a one. Turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. Now you've got to realize that when it talks about the gate, when you come into these ancient cities, it was there in the gate that they would have side rooms set aside. And they'd have a little stone uh, bench-like built right in. It was there that the king would go down and hear the complaints of the people. In plain words, it was the county courthouse, or the city courthouse. And so here we find that Boaz, he probably was a prominent man in town. He may have been one of the elders. He went down, and before they could conduct official business, they had to have a minion. A minion is ten men. And so Boaz, very likely, he gathered together ten of the elders and says, sit here, I got business. And when the kinsman came by, he said, oh, brother, here, I've got some dealings I have to deal with you. Come on over here and we'll take care of the transaction. And so this is the scene behind it. And as we look further, look at verse 2, it says, And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. Now, if there were only nine elders, it wasn't official business. They had to have ten of them there. And by the way, many of the Jewish congregations today, until they get ten men present, they won't conduct a service. And when the tenth man comes, whatever time he arrives, that's when the service begins. And so this concept still carries on today. In verse 3 it says, And he said unto the kinsmen, Naomi, that is come again out of the country of Moab, selleth a parcel of land, which was our brother Elimelech's. Now, this near kinsman may have been one of Elimelech's brothers. It doesn't tell who he was. Boaz may have only been a nephew, but the nearer brother would be uh, the near kinsman. Look at 4.4. And I thought to advertise this saying, buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. So here we find that this nearer kinsman says he'll do it. 
Now, what is it he's supposed to do? What were the responsibilities or the duties of a kinsman? There are basically four of them. Number one, he was to buy back the property of the near kinsman who had sold his property to a creditor or to someone else. So he had to pay it back to pay off that debt. Maybe that's what happened when Elimelech went off to Moab. He may have sold off his property. Secondly, he was to redeem one near of kin who had of necessity sold himself into servitude. If a man had sold himself into slavery or into servitude, he could buy him out of that. Thirdly, he was to avenge the dead. He was to avenge the blood of the near of kin if he were slain by an enemy. This is the reason why they had the cities of refuge that the innocent would run to. And fourthly, he was to marry the childless widow of a near kinsman, as we find in Ruth 3.13, and become trustee of that property on behalf of the offspring until that child was old enough to take it over, and then he would be considered the child of the dead one. Now, how does that relate to our salvation? In Job 19.25, it says, I know that my Redeemer, my Goel, G-O-E-L in this case, I know that my Goel liveth. Ah, Job said he had a Goel, a Redeemer, just like Ruth did. And in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, we find that 18 times the, they make refuge to this Goel in just the very few chapters of the book of Isaiah. And Hosea 13.14 says, he, speaking of Christ, will not cast us out, he says, and in coming to him we find rest unto our souls. In plain words, he is the one who buys us back. Now let's look at these individually. Number one, It says that he is to buy back and pay the debt of the one who died or sold himself into slavery. When Adam sold us and himself into slavery, it had to be the near kinsman who bought him back again. This is the reason why the father couldn't redeem him. This isn't the reason why the Holy Spirit couldn't redeem him. Because who was the one that God actually used to create man? It was through Christ that man was created. He was the nearer kinsman. And so, yes, the Father and the Son, I mean the Father and the Holy Spirit were involved, that's true. But because he's the one that made the world, he's the one that had to buy it back again. And so he's the one that had to die for your sins to pay the price that Satan and the law demanded. This was what they demanded in order to pay the 
price of our redemption. Secondly, to redeem one near of kin and of a necessity. I read that from servitude. Also, we find that he was to buy back his property. The whole world belongs to, to God, right? Adam was only the caretaker. Satan had wrestled the governorship of this planet. When Jesus died, he bought back the planet. God cares about the animals also, not just the people. Notice what it says also. He is to avenge the blood of the near kinsmen if slain by an enemy. This is the reason why the Lord says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. This is the reason why the judgment, this is the reason why Satan and the wicked are destroyed. Because they destroyed God's people. They destroyed God's property. They're the ones that polluted the world and caused all kinds of things to happen in this world. So Christ is the avenger. Now there are those that say, well, he's a God of love and he would never hurt anybody or destroy anybody. If you say that, you are saying he is not fulfilling the role of the kinsman. Because that was the responsibility of the kinsman. And it is Christ's responsibility when he comes back to slay the wicked who have slain the people of God. You see, it fits into this model. And then, of course, it says that he is to marry the childless widow and take care of the property until that child could take over. Christ came back to win us. He takes us as his bride. We are the children of God. He's giving us this new earth. I think he's going to return the earth to Adam. You see, Adam had it once, but it was taken away from him. Now it's given back to Adam for his children to inherit so that they have a name and a home that's their own. You see, what Christ did on the cross reflects back on the kinsmen. And until we understand the customs of the time, we oftentimes overlook that. And notice what this says. In verse 4, he said he would advertise it. If there's anyone who can redeem, let him do it. But the angels couldn't redeem us. Satan certainly wasn't going to. He was a created being. He wants to rule the earth. But he certainly doesn't want to restore the earth. And so we find here that he gives the opportunity to anybody who wants to. But no one else would do it. So Christ steps in. Look at number five. Verse five. Then said Boaz, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess the wife of the dead, to raise up a name for the dead unto his inheritance. Satan, if he, if he were going to play the part of the Redeemer, he would want the land, he would want the people, but he wasn't going to pay the price of death. 
He didn't want to die. And he certainly didn't want to raise up a righteous seed. And even though he's a created being like we are, he passes it by. By the way, the literal kinsman there, he may have had a family of his own. And he might have been afraid that he might be jeopardizing his own children's inheritance too. So there's a lot of implications there. Look at Ruth 4, 6. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Boaz may have been married before. And if that's the case, all the kids he was going to have, he already had, and they would have inherited the property he had. If he married Ruth, and she had a child, any child she had would inherit Elimelech's property without endangering his own. And so he's in a position where he can do this. Look at verse 7. Now this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning the redeeming and uh, concerning changing. For to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and he gave it to his neighbor. And this was a testimony in Israel. Now this idea of taking off your shoe and handing it to the, another individual, we don't understand that today. That's not a custom we practice. As a matter of fact, when this was written, customs probably have changed. Because in the opening line there in verse 7, it says, Now this was the manner in former times. This is what we Israelites used to do. What was it? It was sealing a contract. And what he was saying is that just as Satan said, I can walk up and down in in planet Earth because I can put my foot anywhere I jolly well please. Basically, this is what this is saying. It's saying, I am buying this property. This property is mine. I can walk any place I want on it. And I am giving you the right to put your foot in that property. And in addition to that, in marrying the woman, you can put your shoes under her bed. As a matter of fact, even today among some of the Arabs in that part of the world, there's a custom, and even the Jews in some cases follow it, that at a wedding the husband will take a slipper. He either has one on the side or he'll take off one of his shoes and when the bride comes in, he'll tap her on the shoulder with it. What is he saying? I have the authority to correct you. You see. There is a sultan in one of the Arabic countries that when he would go in his royal procession, they would, instead of carrying a scepter in front of him, they would carry on a pillow a pair of embroidered slippers to show that he had authority to correct the people in his land. And so by him passing the slipper, he is saying, I am turning my right of authority over to you. 
Now notice what happens also in this. Therefore the kinsman said to Boaz, buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. Now, if Ruth had been present, or Naomi, it would have been the woman that went over and took his shoe off and handed it to him. But she's not there. So what's he do? He takes off his own shoe and gives it to Boaz. Notice verse 9. And Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, Ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kylian's and Malin's of the hand of Naomi. Even though he's marrying Ruth, he's marrying Elimelech's property. And since Elimelech's wife is Naomi, it's her property that he's buying. Therefore, she's the one that's credited with this. Look at verse 10. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malin, having I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead unto his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of his place. Ye are witnesses this day. So this legal transaction took place. That's why when we go to heaven, we'll have a chance to look at the books of heaven. We'll have, have an opportunity to understand the legal process that Christ is going through to apply his shed blood in our behalf. Because we're dealing with customs that we're not familiar with. You can imagine what the heavenly customs are. And look at verse 11. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses, the Lord make the woman that is come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build up the house of Israel, and do thou worthily in Ephrath, and be famous in Bethlehem. In plain words, may Ruth be a mother in Israel. May she be like Rachel and Leah, the wives of Jacob, who raised up the tribes of Israel, of which we are descendants. Look at verse 12. And let the house be like the house of Perez. Now this is important. Whom Tamar bare unto Judah of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. Now the interesting thing is Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law. And her husband died. So Judah gave Tamar to his second son. And he died. And the younger son was young and took some time for him to grow up. And he promised that he would marry the younger son to her. But when the boy was old enough, he didn't give him the son to Tamar. So what did Tamar do? She disguised herself as a harlot. And it was Judah that went into her and gave birth to Perez. And he was going to have her stoned to death until she produced his ring and his rod and so forth that he had left. And he said, you're more noble than I am. What was he saying? 
He was saying that you had a right and I defrauded you from it. But notice that Tamar's son, Perez, it is from Perez that Jesus was a descendant. It was from Tamar that Jesus came. Now that's interesting. This is where it starts coming together here. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. Now, verse 14. We're getting down to the crux of why this book was written. And the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in the land. Now it's Naomi. The women were saying this unto Naomi, that your name will be famous because of this child that will be born. And it was through the Jews that the redemption of the world came. It wasn't through the Gentiles. It was through the Jews that we have eternity. My Scotch-Irish ancestors, they were probably worshiping the Celtic gods. But that is not my ancestry. My ancestry is the God of the Jews, of Elimelech. See the resurrection theme. And a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better to thee than seven sons hath borne him. Verse 16. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and, and became nurse unto him. The child was considered Naomi's, even though Ruth was the birth mother. And verse 17. And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name. Notice that the women named it. Boaz didn't name the baby. The women named it. And saying, there is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. Now here's the crux. Obed, he is the father of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David. Now get this line. You see, Here in David, the king of Israel, his ancestry consisted of Rahab, the harlot, and of Tamar, and of Ruth. And you say, well, what does this mean? It shows that David, although he was king of Israel, he had Gentile heritage. It also, Jesus came from David. What does that mean? That Jesus is not only the redeemer of the Jews, the believers, he's also the God of the Gentiles as well. He's a universal savior. And as we look at this, This is the reason why there are those who feel that this was written by Samuel. Because there were those who were complaining, uh, well, how how can David be our, our king? He was given reason for it. 
Not only this too, but when Saul was after David, and when he went to war, he took his family and he sent them to Moab for protection. Why? Because Ruth was for Moab. And it provided safety for them until David could be secure. Then he brought them back again. In verse 18, And these are the generations of Pharaoh's. Pharaoh's begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram. And Ram, Ram or Ram, begat Aminadab. And Aminadab begat Nashon. And Nashon begat Solomon. Not Solomon. Solomon's not mentioned. Which means it had to be written before the birth of Solomon. You see, it mentions David, but it doesn't mention Solomon. So, it mentions Solomon. Now, who was Solomon? Solomon was one of the spies that went into Jericho. And later on, later on, he married Rahab. And as a result of his marrying Rahab, we find that Rahab becomes an ancestress of King David. And Solomon begat Boaz. Now, and Boaz begat Obed. Now, could this be a reason why Boaz wasn't afraid to marry a Gentile? Because he was half Gentile. It's because his own ancestry was that of a Gentile. And Boaz begat Obed. And it's showing here that Boaz was not a man of prejudice because he himself was part Israelite and part Gentile. And so this tells us a lot. And look at verse 22. And Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. And thus ends the book of Ruth. And so the book of Ruth is actually a gospel. It's a gospel of God's truth telling us that the Savior that was promised to Adam and Eve was acted out in the lives of these people through King David and comes down to us as a universal Savior. He died for you. He died for me, regardless of our ancestry. And I don't know about you, but that makes me happy. And I'm thankful for the gospel of Ruth. Shalom. Let's have prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being with us this Sabbath. It's been a long day, but we thank you that your presence has been with us. Bless us and help us to understand and to gain deeper insight into your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.